Well, this evening, as this morning, our focus is on prayer, a day on prayer at the start of the new church year. Tonight, once again, I want to encourage us to keep the application in our minds corporate. In other words, let's not be defaulting to apply what the Lord Jesus teaches us about prayer to us as individuals. Let's keep the application to us as a church. Our passage is Matthew 6, verses 5 to 15. But let me, as you turn that up, just remind us of the kind of opportunities for prayer that go on in a church. In our services, people meet to pray before each service on a Sunday, prayer in our small groups, children and young people's groups pray, the band prays before they practice, before toddlers, impact, language class, there is prayer. Prayer is an important part of the elders' shepherding, their meetings. Once a month on a Tuesday, the whole church meets to pray. Our gospel partners send regular prayer letters. We pray when we meet up in our homes, coffee shops, as families, and by ourselves. Prayer is an important part of church family life. And tonight from these verses, the Lord Jesus teaches us how to pray in all these contexts. Let's read Matthew 6, verses 5 to 15. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. Let's be quiet for a moment and ask for God's help. Lord Jesus, we have a very simple task before us tonight to listen attentively to you and to understand your teaching as to how we should pray. Help us to understand it clearly and to put it into practice across the life of our church family. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Jesus' teaching on prayer here is part of what we call the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5 to 7. The Sermon on the Mount is a description of what kingdom people or Christians and what kingdom living, Christian living or church life should be like. Jesus has two audiences in view in his Sermon on the Mount. 
unbelievers and believers, yes, but he expresses it this way. The Lord Jesus wants to distinguish between the self-righteous and the humble who are only righteous through Jesus by God's grace and mercy. And the question, therefore, around this teaching on prayer is which camp are we in? In this particular bit of the Sermon on the Mount, he asks that question by focusing on three different contexts, giving to the needy, praying and fasting. Just look with me in the text, you'll see that, verse 2 of chapter 6, when you give to the needy. Verse 5, when you pray. Verse 16, when you fast. In each of these areas, Jesus shows us what self-righteousness looks like, or religion if you like. And what a humble sinner saved by grace, having received the righteousness of Jesus, looks like. Now with that in mind, let's read verses 5 to 8 and verses 14 to 15, the kind of uh, bookends round the prayer. Verse 5, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. When you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And it's a simple question. Do we pray to be seen by others or to be seen by God? Who is the audience we have in view? Answering that question reveals who we are. Self-righteous or a humble, forgiven sinner having received the righteousness of Christ. Now the acid test, if you're an accountant here, I used to be an accountant, there are things called, uh, something called the acid test. It's how much cash you've got that determines the health of your business. The acid test of a true heart, sincerely in prayer, is what goes on in your bedroom with the door shut, in the secret place, when there is only one audience in view. Reading on, verse 7, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Do we feel we need to pray with many words to impress people, or just simple words, the kind of normal language we use in normal life, to express to our Father what is on our hearts? What a relief that is. There's a fellow in the church uh, who uh, said to me, uh, He felt really stupid in the prayer meeting because he didn't have all sorts of phrases to use. And I said, just speak. And he did. And smile on his face. Let's not forget that if we've been Christians for years. Simple words. Simple words. And then verse 14. If you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you. Now what Jesus is talking about here is the difference between a self-righteous person who does not have a forgiving spirit and stands in judgment over others the kind of person who prays Jesus will you forgive my sins but let me just remind you about them and them and that person and so on. And on the other hand, a humble person who knows they are a sinner through and through and who are forgiven, made righteous only through the grace and mercy of God in Jesus. 
So once again, where do we sit? Uh, there are two there are two sides of the line, the religion and the self-righteous or the undone sinner saved by grace who knows it doesn't matter who is looking or listening and who knows it doesn't matter what words they use and who has a forgiving spirit because they have been forgiven much that's the kind of person that can pray in sincerity our Father in heaven hallowed be your name that's the backdrop to this teaching on prayer you can't pray if you're not a Christian now it may be that as we begin to engage with what prayer is that's a way that God uses us to lead us to faith but you can't pray our father if God is not our father you can pray these words or you can say these words maybe there's somebody here who's not yet a Christian and you're beginning to stumble on the fact as you come along to this church or another church Sunday by Sunday and hear the gospel that we're not religious it doesn't matter who we are or what we do. It doesn't matter the words we use or who does the prayers or this, that or the other. What matters is that our hearts are humbled, undone, because it, it, we've nothing to plead before the Lord Jesus. All we plead is his righteousness and we are undone and forgiven and we have a forgiving spirit and we just speak to God as our Father and we're Christians and we're liberated from self-righteousness. Maybe that'll happen tonight. That's you, give in to Jesus. And let all the shackles of self-righteousness disappear. Okay, let's get into the prayer. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So on and so forth. Is it a prayer to be prayed or a pattern for prayer? Both. How do we know? Matthew says, this then is how you should pray. In other words, in Matthew, it's a, a pattern. Uh, these clauses should be uh, taken and, and, and amplified, like you've got a notebook and you've got a, a, a page that says, Hallowed be your name, and you write underneath that all the stuff that you might pray under that heading. And then there's the next page, Your kingdom come, and you write underneath that all the stuff that we prayed. But people say, well, shouldn't we pray the prayer? If you go to Luke, he says, When you pray, say. Matthew, when you pray like this, Look, when you pray, say. So both is the answer. Okay? Which means, um, to anticipate the question of some of you afterwards, we'll start from time to time saying this prayer again as a church. It's a good thing to do and the right thing to do. So it's a pattern to shape our praying and also a prayer to be prayed. Here in Matthew, Matthew wants to teach us about a pattern to shape our praying. Or pray in this manner or use these phrases to help shape your prayer life as a church um, and as individuals. Um, hallowed be your name, your kingdom, your will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. Write these in a notebook 
um, uh, I always, if I'm preached on this over the years, say that and think, gosh, that's awfully kind of legalistic and, and, and almost, almost always someone comes back to me afterwards, that was a helpful thing. Just write them down and, and put stuff under the headings. Now, our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven, our Father in heaven, not my Father, our Father, um, our Father, give us, forgive us, lead us, deliver us, our Father, our Father, when we pray, puts into your mind, People close to you, maybe in your family, friends who are Christians, our Father. It puts into your mind your church family, our Father, your small group. It puts into your mind Christians all over the planet, our Father. It expands our horizons. If our prayers are punctuated with me, give us, God, give me, give me, forgive me, lead me, deliver me. Our horizons will not be as expansive as if we punctuate our prayers with Christ's pronouns. Us. Our Father, Father is an intimate word that speaks of approachability, confidence, trust, dependence. Someone to whom we turn when we are in need who will help us. The word is perhaps better translated, Daddy. And we must not be ashamed of such intimacy with God. A child to their daddy is an expression of trust, dependence, security, uh, safety. Uh, when I uh, am at the front of the church on Sunday mornings and we get the mass exodus of the children, not of Israel but of Chammers, uh, and there's hundreds of them go out and all their parents, there's always a good few toddlers aged three clinging on hard to daddy and you just look at daddy or mummy and they're thinking how am I going to prize this little mite uh, off uh, father that's what it is in heaven where is God he's not here uh, heaven is synonymous with where God is the, the rule the majesty the authority of God the picture most often used in the Bible is God and his throne daddy that's one half of our mind the other half of our mind on your throne in your majesty, our Father in heaven, intimacy and reverence in combination, approachability and an audience with a king. How do you fuse intimacy and reverence? How do you fuse a approachability with royal protocol? You don't. You can't. God is both to us, both Father and Sovereign. And the two sit side by side, not fused together with some uh, kind of compromise. Never, ever, ever be afraid of intimacy with God, of coming up close to Him and speaking to Him as a child. Never, ever be afraid of clinging on to Him. But on the other hand, be afraid of Him, for He is your Sovereign and your King. Now, the six petitions in the prayer, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, give us today, forgive us, lead us not. Six petitions, the first three uh, concerning God, your name, your kingdom, your will, the next three concerning us, give us, forgive us, lead us not. Neither the top half or the bottom half is more important. The, 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 the your name, your kingdom, your will, the top half, 
give us, forgive us, lead us. It's not the top half is more important, the bottom half is less important. But the order is right. It's God first, God first. We need to start by hallowing God's name, praying for his kingdom, praying for his will, and then we pray for our daily bread. But we mustn't stop when we get to may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and think there is some kind of uh, irreverence or, or, or uh, in not asking for your daily bread. Of course we need to do that. But I think it's probably true that for many of us our prayers begin with me not us or I and not us and we begin from the bottom up not the top down. We begin give us today our daily bread lead us not into temptation forgive us our sins. We need to start at the top. Hallowed be your name. And if the top means God, that's a good place to start. Hallowed be your name. What does it mean to hallow the name of God? It means to revere, honour, esteem, value, praise, adore, give God the respect he deserves. Will God's name be hallowed whether or not we pray? Yes. Why do we pray? Roger spoke about this last week and I've been dining out on this all week in my own soul why do we pray God's promises back to him let me write five books about the answer if God already knows why I pray volume one, two, three, four, five you know the answer is Jesus says to us do what I do Join in with the outworking of God's purposes. Leave it to me as to how I will use your prayers to fulfill my promises. Part of it, very practically, if I can add something to what Roger said, is when we pray and God does it, it's not because we pray that he does it, but he uses our prayers in it. But when it happens and there's an answer, we rejoice. And God loves it when we rejoice. When there's an answer. Hallowed be your name, O God. Here's an exercise you could uh, take on this, this term. Go through the Bible and write down all the names for God. There are loads of them. Like eternal God, promise-keeping God, all-powerful God, ruling God, God of grace in all its shades, God our righteousness. Hallowed be your name. Pick a name for God every day. We praise you, God, because you are eternal. Amen. That's not long enough, though, is it? Simple words. Simple words. Simple words. Arrow shots. You can pray these prayers on a bus. Hallowed be your name, God, because you keep your promises. Thank you. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. What does it mean to pray your kingdom come? It means to pray that Jesus Christ will return. The kingdom of God broke into this world when Jesus came. Long promise. Jesus came, the king came, and the everlasting kingdom of God broke into the world. And to pray your kingdom come is to pray that Jesus will return. And what happens when Jesus returns, the kingdom of God will become the kingdom of this world. The new creation is this earth consumed by God, resurrected. That's what it means to pray your kingdom come. The future dimension, Martin Luther said, he lived, and I guess prayed, with two days in his horizon. Today, not tomorrow, today and that day, your kingdom come. 
but there is a present dimension to your kingdom come. God's kingdom has broken into this world. What does it look like? It's called hundreds of thousands of local churches scattered like stars across the planet. Your kingdom comes when a new church is planted. Redeemer is God's kingdom coming to Collinton. That sounds awfully grand, but it's true and scary. A new church, the advance of the gospel in China, pushing out through the Silk Roads in the next 20 or 30 years. That is your kingdom come. Or on Tuesday night, we're going to talk about taking one step forward in our evangelism. This year, we're going to let our neighbours know we're Christians. That's all. This year, we're going to let somebody at work know what we did yesterday. That's all. And that's the start. That's the step for the kingdom to come into their life. Big and small. Praying your kingdom come means as a church, praying, reaching, building, training, sending, all that stuff. It means to pray that living churches in the city will keep on being clear. It means to pray that living churches will reach out, build up into the streets and communities of the city. It's to pray for the businesses in Morningside Road, all these endless coffee shops. How on earth do they survive? That we'll get to know these people. And the kingdom of God will come in their lives. Praying your kingdom come is praying for individuals in our church family who are not yet at the heart of our church family because the kingdom of God may have come into the hearts of a loved one but not yet them, but it will. It means to pray for leaders to lead churches with kingdom priorities. It means to pray for the nations of the earth. It means to pray for South Sudan. It means to pray for North Korea. It means to pray for Scotland. They're not the same, but they are more similar than they were. Closed and hard and dark. Why should we pray your kingdom come when God's kingdom will come? We pray your kingdom come with confidence because a lot of God's kingdom has already come. We are so much further down the track than David or Solomon that we've been looking at. We pray your kingdom come because Jesus said, I will build my church upon your confession. Please pray that my church will grow. Imagine if uh, Sam and one or two others had written a paper to the elders and to the congregation about, we're going to plant a church in uh, Collington. Here's the projections, the five-year plan. Here's the... Here are the building options, here, here's the scenario, here are the rotors. Here, I mean, he's got to do all that, bless him. Imagine if we had done all of that for the last three years and never prayed. I mean, forget that it might not have happened stuff, but just the, 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 the pleasure and the thankfulness when the building comes because we pray God's not playing with us as pawns. He's growing us as a church. Your kingdom come. You will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the tough one to crack. What does this mean? There are lots of different aspects to God's will. It's often described as his sovereign will and his moral will. His sovereign will is that which he decrees, plans and determines, his purposes if you like. And God's moral will is how he wants us to live. Now in heaven where God is or in the new creation there is perfect obedience. 
there is only the will of God in eternity. So when we pray, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that's a bit like praying for the future dimension, your kingdom come. Only then will the will of God be done on earth as it is in heaven, when the dwelling place of God is on earth with the new creation. But praying this, now you will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is to pray that the church, or local churches like Chalmers or Redeemer, that our corporate life as a church, that our individual life will be increasingly conformed to how God wants us to live. So the second half of Ephesians we studied on Sunday nights over the past two or three months, that's you will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Unity, maturity, putting off, putting on. Living wisely, godliness, humility, forbearance, love. That's you will be done on earth in this church as it is in heaven. It is also, I think, to pray for God's intervention in global events. So when we pray for, we prayed this morning and tonight for uh, Hong Kong, and rightly so. Is that just a kind of comfort blanket or a kind of stab in the dark saying that, oh, this is a mess, what are you going to do? To pray for Hong Kong and for peace and unity and stability is to pray for the will of God to be done on earth as it is in heaven. For the will of God in the new creation is peace and security. And so we need to pray that God will break in, in history, to alleviate suffering and do so with confidence. Give us today our daily bread. That is to pray for the basic essentials and necessities of life. That means physical stuff. What stuff? Food, home, health, strength, family, friendships. Give us this day our daily bread. Why might we not pray that? Because we think God doesn't care? Or maybe we don't pray for our daily physical needs because of a sense of self-sufficiency, material self-sufficiency. We need to remember that all we have is from God and so we need to ask for it every day. It's a bit like praying for forgiveness when you've been forgiven. You've got to do it to remember. Or maybe we don't ask God to give us today our daily bread because we think we might be praying for prosperity, for health and wealth and material things. Should we pray for health? Absolutely. Should we pray for people to be healed? Absolutely. But if our health goes, if our health is taken from us, the floor does not fall out of the Christian's life. Praying for daily bread means asking for strength each day to endure. Here's another dimension, two more dimensions for us as Western Christians. Give us today our daily bread. Should I think when we pray that, remind us that what we need each day is not the same as what we have each day. And that's why in a church, and I long for Chalmers to become more and more diverse, 
There was a fellow, a couple of people who came in a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday morning when we had one service and the place was jam-packed and I could just see them from here. They were thinking, there's no place for me here. It's not because there was too many people here, it's because they weren't like them. And God willing, we can embrace these fellows who are here that we'll become a church that that breaks through the, the way we build cities in little quadrants. That's why it's give us today our daily bread. And therefore, when you pray that, you are praying for our, our church family. And if there are people who do not have what they need, and we have more than we need, the answer to the prayer is obvious. We give them what we do not need. That's a church. And you can expand that to relationships, perhaps, between two churches. Practical money stuff to make churches run. Church A, Church B. Church A has got more than it needs. Church B has got less than it needs. You fuse them together and you answer the prayer, give us today our daily bread. It breeds a a generosity uh, within our spirit. Now, don't go home and feel guilty. We are where we are in the world. We live where we live. Just be generous. And remember that if you lost it all, it wouldn't be the end of the world. But don't beat yourself up. But if there is somebody who's in need, don't cross the street or delete the email. Just pitch up with some bread. Now, give us today our daily bread. It's physical, material, but it's also spiritual. It's both. Um, uh, bread is, is uh, used throughout the Bible as, as, as the basic essentials of, of life. Um, uh, and the Bible is the basic essential of life. What happens if we don't ask God for spiritual nourishment? We lack wisdom, growth, assurance, peace. What peace we forfeit, what needless pain we bear because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Let's just boil that down to the simple phrase give us today what we need spiritually. Ask for it. And very often when we don't ask for it, God gives us it because he's kind and gracious and because 500 other people are praying for us. That's why it's great to be in a church. But God loves us to ask him for what we need. You can't get through a day without bread or milk. Or in the west of Scotland, a scotch pie. I don't know why I wrote that. I'd love a scotch pie, you know, tonight. One of these funny diets. It's funny how diets don't have scotch pies in them. Right, let's get on to forgiveness. Praying daily for the essentials of life. I hope you didn't think that was irreverent. One, I had a lovely comment from somebody this afternoon. He said, isn't it great when the Bible is real? I mean, it's real. It's not like 
another world. We were talking this morning, if you see someone's head go down in church on Sunday night, you don't assume they're praying. Assume they're nodding off. Dear Lord Jesus, keep them awake because you might have something very important to say to them. That's just real. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Debts or trespasses or sins. Praying daily for forgiveness. Why pray daily for forgiveness when we've been forgiven? Because it reminds us we have been forgiven. And we need to pray for forgiveness that we might be sanctified or transformed in the power of the Holy Spirit. How do you pray for forgiveness? If you amplify this prayer, imagine you've got this heading, daily prayer for forgiveness, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You want a little table on that page and it's got three columns. Number one, be specific. Number two, be contrite. Number three, be confident. Name them. Here's a, a phrase I came across this week in somebody else's sermon. Name them, not to shame them, but to claim them. <laughs> it's terrible, isn't it? Name them. Name them. And he's right, though, not to be ashamed, but to claim the forgiveness of sins. But the sin must be specifically named. Lord Jesus, I'm struggling with what I'm watching. That brings to your heart and to your mind what it is. And you pray, Lord Jesus, will you help me? Be specific. Be contrite. And be confident. Be confident that there is no such a thing as sin that uh, has not been forgiven if you are a Christian. Sin that cannot be forgiven if you're not yet a Christian. And there is no sin that cannot be forgiven battered down or or what people would call in the past mortified or dealt with or conquered or, 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 or less of a struggle than it was. There's no such sin in the world that exists that's not able to be invaded by the Holy Spirit's power. And that's not the same as saying that Let's aim for sinless perfection. That'll never come until the new creation. But let's not aim for the status quo when the Holy Spirit lives within us. And then praying daily for protection and deliverance. Finally, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When we are serious about sin and pray with contrite hearts, forgive us our sins, then we become vigilant to the dangers of temptation. Is temptation real? Absolutely the temptation of unbelief, of cynicism, of despair, of anxiety, of covetousness, of envy, of greed. Or think of temptation in this way, places, people, things. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Which is why, every day, we need to get on our knees, in our bedrooms, when only God can see. And not just pray for ourselves, but keep the us up language. Keep the us language up for our church family Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation is asking that God would protect us from tempting circumstances, keep us from all circumstances wherein we might succumb to temptation. That varies from person to person. And if we find ourselves in the place of temptation, in the heat of it all, at the very heart of it all, we pray, deliver us from evil. And if you fail and you fall again, and if you fail and you fall again, I'd encourage you to go back up the prayer and pray, Our 
Father in heaven. You are a saving God. Help me. Now what difference will this make if, as across a whole church family, we pray? I guess that's been the theme of our day. Well, okay, I'm not going to promise you this, that or the other will happen. I'm not going to promise you that Redeemer's woes will not happen. Or that Chalmers won't have friction ahead. Or that uh, our gospel partners, most of whom now we can't name publicly, everything will be rosy. What I can promise you is that Jesus promises us joy and rewards and riches and blessing and participation and deep, deep joy in our hearts. What I can promise you is that you will be doing exactly what Jesus said you should do and that's a good thing to do. What I can promise you is you will bless people all over this church family. What I can promise us is that you yourself will become the answers to these prayers. Sincerity, simplicity, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today what we need. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us out of it. And forgive us our sins. And keep us with hearts that beat with a forgiving spirit. Let me encourage us all to plug in to the various opportunities to pray with this last word in your ears as you leave. Uh, with no personal pronouns involved. Us. 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 The saints. Us. Your prayers are a great blessing to others in this family. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this very practical teaching on prayer, at the end of the day on prayer. Help us, Lord, to be a praying church, a praying people, in real ways, in sensible ways, in practical ways. And may we know the deep, deep joy of participating in the outworking of your wonderful promises to bring your kingdom on earth and then the new creation to the earth, to see your will done and to see our daily needs met. Make us a praying people such, we ask for Jesus' sake. Amen.